and welcome to Unity Thursday, the podcast for women in business, created by women in business. We are your hosts, Emily Thompson and Sophie Will. We know what it's like to spend your day surrounded by people who don't look like we do, speak like we do, or think like we do. Here on Unity Thursday, we bring together women like us. We ask our guests to share with us their story and discuss books and podcasts that they've enjoyed. Join the community wherever you get your podcasts. Just a quick disclaimer, this isn't a get-rich-quick plan and we can't make you good at your job. Sorry, not sorry. Shout out to our sponsors, Zeus, a leading independent financial services group which works across public and private capital markets in the UK. Before we get into it, how's your week been, Sophie? It's been good, thank you. It's been Easter Monday. No, Easter Uh, happened. (laughs) Easter did happen. And it was also my birthday on Tuesday. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. I am coming into my last year of my 20s. So, got to make it a good one. It's kind of depressing for me. But, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Good. Pleased for you. I heard 30 to the best years of your life. So, I'm ready for it. Yeah. Would you not agree? (laughs) 29 certainly wasn't my best year. Mm, Certainly wasn't. Definitely wasn't. Was that when your divorce happened? Yeah, or at least at the end, the, the tail end of it. <laughs> okay, anyway, well, I hope that on. doesn't happen. <laughs> let's move on. Yeah, okay. How was yours? <laughs> My week. No, I haven't finished talking about your week. What did you do for your birthday? Oh. Um, I went to Colchester Zoo. Nice. With my family. It was really nice, actually. The weather held off, thankfully. The heavens opened as soon as we got in the car. So, luckily, it uh, stayed dry for us. But, yeah, it was really nice. Thank you. What animals did you do- see? elephants and mm. giraffes and rhinos and hippos i mean everything what you would expect to see at a zoo yeah um snakes um but yeah no it was really nice my daughter loved it she was just running around uh looking at all the animals her favorite were the giraffes i don't know why my mum took her a few months back and she fed them but she was terrified so i think she was trying to prove a point this time mm. to say that the giraffes were her favorite but yes it was a really nice day thank you um with my family yeah it was good and how has your week been my week's been very nice i enjoyed the um long weekend i did have to pull off the ivy off the outside of the house which was absolutely riddled with spiders <laughs> Oh so my God. I did have a meltdown. I bet. How many? Well, well meltdowns, not spiders. <laughs> I was going to say there was a lot of spiders and probably an equal number of meltdowns. Um, now, the problem with pulling off ivy off the walls is that the spiders become very mobile very quickly. So they kind of fly at you. Oh, my God. That's not So fun. for someone who is a little bit afraid of spiders, it quickly becomes quite a big fear. So let's establish exactly what was going on. As a first aider... You're up, up a ladder <laughs> yeah. on your own with no support, yeah. pulling ivy off of a house. Flying spiders are coming at you left, right and centre. Yeah. My neighbour did come and check that. on me. Yeah. And how did that go? Well, he brought me a really big bag so that I could put all the ivy in it and drive to the tip. But he didn't support you with the spider situation. No. Well, no, I don't really feel that was his job. He's just the neighbour. He was just being neighbourly. Where was your partner in all of this? He was he was working. Well, did I ever tell you about the time a spider was on my head? No. Okay, so my house is really spider-ridden. And basically, what happened one time Sounds is terrifying. that I went in to clean my teeth and I looked at myself in the mirror and I've been <laughs> sitting in the bed, like reading my book, as looked in the mirror and there was a massive spider on my head so I like knocked it off into the sink and then just had a full meltdown. You just casually knocked it off or like and then that actually sounds terrifying. It was awful. It was awful. I had a pigeon stuck in my head once. A pigeon? (laughs) How did that happen? Please tell me how that happened. You know when they just all (laughs) hover together and there's like hundreds of them. I'm not even being dramatic. In Trafalgar Square? Yeah, kind of but it wasn't Trafalgar in Ilford. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> An Ilford, An Ilford pigeon. That's probably better than Trafalgar Square. At least they've got all their toes. No, no, oh, they don't. And I ran. Well, no, my friend thought she would be funny and ran through these group of pigeons, whatever they're called, and they all flew up. And one of them flew so close to my head, its foot got caught in my hair, and it was flopping like this. It was terrifying. It's one of the worst days of my life. I'm not even being dramatic, and I'm actually scared of pigeons now. Like I have a phobia. How old were you? Oh, I was in school, so I must have been about. 14. That's really traumatic. No, I know. And people laugh about this, but it's actually, I have trauma from this. Are you okay? <laughs> Not really, but thank you for asking. Let's move on. Should we move on? <laughs> <laughs>
Today, our guest is the incredible Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer for Essence Media Comex and Global Head of Relevance for Essence Media Com Global, co-author of Belonging, The Glass Wall and Tell the Truth, and is also co-host of EM Connected Podcast. Sue has a wealth of experience in advertising and media. Sue joined us from her busy office and we were recording in the middle of a gale force storm. So please bear with us for any background noise. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sue. Thank you for inviting me. So Sue, could you start by telling us what is your role now? I've just started these two two new jobs, actually. Um, one of them is four days a week, which is Chief Transformation mm-hmm. Officer at Essence Mediacom X. And a day a week, I'm Global Head of Relevance for Essence Mediacom um, Worldwide. And the two jobs are kind of related in that my KPI is to transform our client work. Um, It's to make sure that our clients are on top of and aware of any big transformations that are going on out there and to make sure that we have an opinion and we are steering our clients uh, in the right direction to help them to grow. Um, I also have some operational um, transformation roles in uh, introducing agile ways of working and um, some personality profiling in the agency. So I guess you name it, I'll have a go at transforming it. What it isn't is digital transformation because in fact EMX is a it is a digitally mature agency, so it, it's often used to mean that, but that's not what it is in in, in this respect. Um, and then the Global Head of Relevance, that's really um, for Creative Futures, which is our uh, production division that makes nearly everything apart from 30-second ads. So advertiser-funded programming, um, we brought back Change of Rooms with Dulux, um, we do have a huge influencer um, practice and people first social. We make a lot of digital work um, and uh, the relevance role there is about bringing the kind of effectiveness that we would use for strategic media planning, for strategic communications planning in the broader sense. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh my God. Amazing. So, I mean, you've, you've, you've been doing this for years you have a wealth of experience what first interested you in advertising and media absolutely nothing at all so I was um I was going to do yeah (laughs) I was going to do it's a very long time ago now I was going to do law I um left university with a degree in history I had a place on a law conversion course um I got really bored of not having any money during the kind of year off I was sort of I hadn't had a year off before I went to university and I was planning to have a year off afterwards and then I kind of got bored and I got bored of not having any money so I just got a job and the, the job as a started TV time buy for an advertising agency it was just this I think my third interview my second job offer I turned the other one down um, and then when it got to the point when I was going to leave advertising and go and um, do the local version course, they gave me a pay rise. And with the pay rise, I could afford to leave home. And to my 21 year old self, that wasn't really a choice. It was OK, I can go and leave home and live with my then boyfriend and be independent or I can stay at home for another year and then another year after that and probably another year after that before I actually start earning any money so that was the basis on which I made the decision and it was not really until I moved into planning I was a buyer and when I moved into planning that I kind of really got a a love for it because it's basically about people it's basically about understanding people understanding brands which are an amazing thing Um, and Really, the, 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 the media landscape has transformed enormously because when I started out, there was only uh, there was actually only one commercial television station. It was only ITV. Channel 4 came, got, got, came about kind of when I was a year in. So things have changed so much. Um, there weren't even video recorders. When I first, that was a big thing. It's like, oh, there's video recorders. People are going to skip ads because of video recorders. Um, it makes me sound like I'm a, a thousand years old. <laughs> it must but, have been um, such an interesting time, though. Well, all of the change has been really interesting. And I've got quite a low attention span. I do like change. And so to move from that environment to the environment that where we are now, where you might, I mean, I don't know 
how much television you watch in a linear fashion I'm guessing not many not much I don't have don't. any uh television in my house because they couldn't hook up a sky dish so <laughs> I just have all of the streaming services exactly. I mean that is the way forward though isn't it it is yeah everyone just streams now and clearly if you're subscribing to Netflix you're probably not seeing many ads so the yep. challenge of how you communicate with people now is just we are we talk about being in the new communications economy you know where people spend more time with digital devices than they do watching traditional television and especially of course you know people under 50 but quite frankly you know my um my auntie Joyce who's um a magnificent woman in her 80s you know is a very good friends with um Amazon and Alexa you know, and, 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 and and basically gets Alexa to provide most of her entertainment. So things are changing for everybody. What was your upbringing like? Did you watch television then? Yeah, my mother um, disapproved of ITV. Um, so she? yeah, when I was growing up, um, there were two. Um, so of course there wasn't children's television all the time like there is now, and there wasn't a children's television channel. So there was there was a there was sort of children's television from the afternoon to early evening, and then you were supposed to have your tea and go to bed. And there were two um, shows that were competing: Blue Peter, um, which was the BBC um, children's program, and Magpie, which was the ITV children's program. And ITV was much cooler. They had like long hair, and <laughs> you know, a little bit, little bit edgy. And my mother would not let me watch Magpie. For that reason, because they were a bit edgy. <laughs> edgy, bit edgy. Um, but I think, you know, ads, in some ways, that was the golden age of television advertising, the late 60s and early 70s, because no. there was a lot of storytelling. There was a lot of funny ads. Um, there's an annual survey called uh, TGI, and... They used to ask the question, I don't know if they still do, they used to ask, you know, do you prefer the ads to the programmes? And it's switched because back then, you know, maybe maybe programmes have got better, but back then people used to kind of really like, um, it was kind of like a golden age of entertainment in terms of advertising. Mm. And it was more broadcast. So you could put an ad campaign out there and that would sell product. Whereas now, and this is one, so so you mentioned two of my books. I've actually got a third book, which was the first one I wrote called Tell the Truth, Honesty is Your Most Powerful Marketing Tool. And one of the things that we said in that, and it, it was written at the time when um, uh, internet shopping became a kind of big thing, which was that when you walk into a shop, obviously, and you pick up a product, you know, someone doesn't come and tap you on the shoulder and go, um, uh, um, Sophie, um, I only gave that one star, right? But when you buy something online, that's exactly yeah. what happens. And that's changed things as well. And it changes how you need to that's integrate cool. the customer journey, the um, point of sale, how it's sold, the whole experience, as well as just have a funny ad for it. Mm. What, what do you actually think was the reason that it had changed so much? Because your point, I actually completely understand that because for, for example, I saw it on social media the other yeah. day, I'm quite a big Disney fan and I've always enjoyed Disney. And I was watching some of the original adverts, obviously that came out years ago, a good 20 years ago now. And they were so enjoyable. And it was like an actual story was being told, whereas now, you know, it shows you what you can do and come mm. here and it's magical. But the actual story behind mm. it, oh my, it, it made mm. me want to go more than what the current adverts do. Why do you think that storytelling advert times have kind of changed to what they are because of that reason, because there's so much competition? I think it's a very big debate in in advertising land. So um, uh, I think because there's so many, there's, there's a tendency to want to focus on product features and product features at the expense perhaps of storytelling. And, you know, best story wins. Stories always win. And so it's something that the advertising industry talks about quite a lot, because if you can bring emotion in and if you can make people feel something and we all know that's actually how you buy stuff. Yeah. 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 That's like the Christmas adverts. They make you emotional. Yeah. They're, they're the yeah. real winners. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so when you were um, a little girl looking in the mirror, you were dreaming of being a lawyer. 
And no, then, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh, no, an that's archaeologist. So before, but when I was a little girl, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Um, I got a book on archaeology when I was 10 and I was planning to be an archaeologist. And then when I was um, uh, 14, I went to an archaeological dig um, in Golders Hill Park, quite near to where I live now um, in North London. And um, it's a, there's a, a Neolithic um, site in Golders Hill Park. And, and the, yeah, the school school it's not it's not visible now but I remember it very vividly the school organized for me to go along because I was really wanted to be an archaeologist I was so bored <laughs> and I can still remember it so vividly it's kind of like I'm sitting there, there I'm 14 a week I'm scraping <laughs> at some dirt I find a, a rock there's no jewels there's no treasure <laughs> forget Indiana Jones I find something and, the, and you know this sort of beardy bloke who seems impossibly old to me then comes over and goes um I, I think you can clearly it's very exciting you clearly see that's a that's a neolithic flint and I'm like yeah what I've met yeah. so no <laughs> <laughs> at least you realized so early on in life though that it wasn't for you <laughs> it's it's not really a good sign for my attention span though I've got very easily distracted in my in my life right I mean first of all I was going to be an archaeologist then I got bored then I was going to be a lawyer and then I got distracted so but I've stuck with this for a while I mean, you've had an incredible career considering it was something that you just fell into. Fell into so yeah. hats off to you. That says a lot about you. <laughs> what do you well, think has been the secret to your success? So it's been the t- people that I've worked with. So um, I started working. So the company that I'm working at now, these are two new jobs. I only took them over and went into them in, on January 31st. But the company that I've been working with overall, I've been working with... Um, uh, so there's people that I've been working with since the 1990s. Um, they are an amazing team of people. I've had bosses that are incredibly empowering. I mean, not not all the time. I don't want you to think it's it's not a fairy story. You know, it's kind of a there's been ups and downs. But one of the things that I learned when I first started working at what was it actually a startup in the 90s, um, and uh, I'd all if you'd said to me before then, are you a competitive person? I would have said no. I I sort of dropped out. That's I'm, I'm you can't see how tall I am. I probably look quite big on the screen. Um, I'm five foot two, and I got to that point where you know at school I was quite tall when I was ten, and then by the time I was thirteen, it looks everyone shoots up five yeah. foot nine. <laughs> and I liked sports, but I got dropped from everything because you know you can't. No one wants a netball player who's five foot five foot two. Um, and then I kind of was a teenager and like had better things to do or, you know, was, I'd want to play. And so I would have said, no, no I'm not competitive at all. And what I learned when I started working with um, some people that I still work with, some people have moved on. So Nick Lawson, who's my global CEO at Essence Medicom now. Steve Allen, who was my um, boss for a long time, um, not with the agency now. Karen Blackett, who's had a WPP, Claudine Collins. What I learned was the excitement and the thrill of winning as part of a team and that you could take all that competitive instinct, which I sort of just buried and make it in service of winning as a team and growing your business and growing your client's business. And that for me was the step change. Until then, I think work had been something that was interesting when it became about working with a team who are some of the best people in the world at what we do producing stuff that's kind of world-class having an ambition to do the best work that you can and I, I the thing about ambition so I've um uh I got sent on coaching um maybe 10 longer now maybe maybe 15 years ago and it was kind of like a, a, when I reached the kind of top level of the company and the coach said to me what's your ambition and I didn't have an answer. I was think I was supposed to say, I was CSL, I was supposed to say, I want to be CEO, I want to run the company. But I didn't want to run the company. So I went away. I said, I'm going to have to go away and think about it. So I went away, came back the next week, and I said, I've thought about it. And I said, my ambition today is to do a better job than I did yesterday. And my ambition tomorrow is to do a better job than that. Mm. And that's just the truth. So lots of people have different approaches to their careers. That kind of sort of getting better at something, working out how to do that something in a different way, having new challenges thrown at you, that I find endlessly sort of satisfying, entertaining and kind of growing. Um, 
And what I'm not good at is treading water. Um, but I've been working for quite a long time now with people who understand that about me because, you know, there are treading water jobs. Um, but instead, you know, um, and certainly very grateful to uh, my new bosses for throwing challenges at me, Ryan and, and Steph and, 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 and always Nick, throwing challenges at me that take me a little bit out of my comfort zone. And that's what I think makes a good career for me. Yeah. I think that that um, when you were talking earlier about having a short attention span, that's actually um, so good, isn't it, for constantly improving, constantly pushing yourself, because otherwise treading water yeah. would, wouldn't be satisfactory. <laughs> Get boring very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you said you enjoy working in a team, working with people. Have you uh, ever had a mentor at all in your career? <laughs> I'm laughing because... Um, I have in my career asked uh, three people to be my mentor, all of whom turned me down. No. <laughs> oh. What reasons did they give? <laughs> they just said they were too busy or, you know, they, um, uh, you know, didn't want to do it. And to be honest, it wouldn't interest them. Um, but all three of them said, but we'll go for a cup of coffee occasionally and we'll chat. And, I'll, and, and we'll chat about your career and so I, I do think sometimes mentoring's become a, like a almost a, a thing now mm. and then I've been the mentor to people as well but and I've been on mentoring training but I also think don't just confine yourself to a mentor mm. um, and we've got this thing that we talk about in the belonging book about you know putting together your personal board so you might have someone who's a mentor but you might also have a sponsor and the mentor you know, to my mind, should be somebody outside the company always because they should be giving you independent, maybe even slightly uncomfortable advice. But you also need a sponsor within the company who is the person yeah, who well. suggests you things or goes, you know, um, Emily's brilliant at this. Let's have her do this. And then the other thing that I've been lucky enough to have um, is a, a brilliant wing person. And that's my co-author, Catherine Jacob. Um, is that what you two have got? Yeah. It's like amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, it, and, and, and you know, it's kind of to, to know that there's someone who's got your back. And I didn't have it all the way through. So Catherine, I always, Catherine and I always knew each other. But it was only when we started writing The Glass Wall together that we started to spend, hang out a lot together. And I honestly would trust her with anything. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, oh, I think so that's so nice, and um, that the kind of board or or, yeah, or how how you describe board. that group of people, I think that that's such an important message, isn't it? To so not just put it all in one person or all in yeah. all in one particular relationship. Do you think that those people who turned you down to be your mentor actually then went on to be your mentor? Yes, like as in, informally. Yeah. They were yeah. my, they were my unmentor. They just didn't mentor. like the title. They didn't like the title. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't want the responsibility. <laughs> but no, and to this day, so um, one of them, um, I'll be saying my friend Duncan, he actually has significantly helped me over the years. Uh, I've gone to him with things when I've been really stuck and he's just come up with like an unconventional but very straight talking solution. Mm. And that is all you need, really, isn't it? Someone to sometimes just say, you're not being silly necessarily with how you think or what you're doing, but here's another way to look at it. Um, and, and and it's not always, it doesn't, it isn't always going to be sympathetic. I think that's the thing, yeah. is that it shouldn't always be. So it's like we also talk about the fact that you'll have your buddies at work that you'll go and moan with, but that's not the same thing as either a wing woman or, 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 or a mentor or a sponsor. It's kind of like, yes, that's great. But you need people as well who it's not that they'll be unsympathetic. It's just that they'll give you perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's all very well having a moan, but it doesn't actually fix things. <laughs> <laughs> Although we all do love a good moan. Of course. <laughs> um, right. We've mentioned it a few times, but let's uh, discuss the glass walls. I think we've both yeah. had quite a few questions. So we've both it. read yep. the glass wall. I read it originally Thank and you. then sent it to uh, Sophie. Absolutely loved it. So. I think that one of the things that really struck me about it was that 
it's got such useful practical advice in there. I was wondering how much of it came from your experience and how much of it came from the women that you'd spoken to in the course of um, writing the book. And, and really, I'm fascinated to hear how it came about as a, an idea that you were going to write the book. Okay, well, I'll uh, I'll start with that. Wasn't my idea. Um, I'd written this previous book called Tell the Truth, and I yeah. went to uh, talk to my boss Nick Lawson um, and get his support with writing a follow-up to it. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, so I'll give you support." And then he said, very unexpectedly, he said, "But that's not the book you should write." And I went, "Oh." And he said, "You should write a book about women at work and um, uh, lean in, just being." published mm, um, Cheryl Sandberg, Cheryl Sandberg yeah. which is fine but it's kind of a book for extroverts and I was sort of imagining my kind of starting out in my career self reading it or at points when I've been struggling and it's just a bit energetic it's kind of like you know put your hand up lean in and I, she's, she's come back and said you know that isn't always the answer and so the more we thought about that, and I, I went to Catherine and asked her to write it with me, the more I thought, yeah, yeah, there's 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 room for a book that's just more about pragmatic advice, that's about shared experiences. There's there's you know, femininity and masculinity is you know it's it's a continuum, and there are men who have feminine traits and women that have masculine traits, and that's all good. But there are some cliches that are true about femininity like when something bad happens to you you think it's you and you think it's only happened to you one of the big purposes of the book because that's never true it's never only you it's always a shared experience and we spoke to over 100 people for the book so um 60 women and 40 men i think i've got that right and it is their stories that are in the book they're all anonymized um they basically, most people only agree to be in the book if it was anonymised. And one or two people, <clears throat> and you might guess which ones, it, which it's slightly sort of harder case studies to read maybe, but one or two of them said, could you please um, change the uh, uh, category of work mm. that I'm in? And one of them said, could you do that? And could you also change the continent oh, wow. as well? And, and so we did, and we preserved everybody's kind of an- anonymity, preserved our sources, like a, like a good journalist. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's very much um, lots of people from lots of different sectors, but all the stories I think resonate. And the extraordinary thing is how there's so so we gave over 150 talks for the glass wall. And first of all, how the book resonated with all sorts of women in all sorts of different kind of careers and professions. But secondly, how the same thing come, same things come up again mm. and again. Yeah, I think that's why I enjoyed it so much, because the amount of case studies that I read and thought, God, I feel that way. And I never I didn't realise other people felt like that. And it just goes to show that actually you are so normal feeling a certain way and if only you just spoke to someone about it you would realize that you aren't the only one you so many people feel that same way um the point that stuck um stood out the most for me I want to make sure I get the quote right was feel the fear face the fear then do it anyway and Mm -hmm. I think for me 100 percent I've come into a different career recently mm. and every day I'm so scared mm. of oh god it's so different what if I fail and it does it it puts up this blockage to me to think oh god I can't do this but you can as soon as you get through that side of fear that's where the best things happen right as soon as you come out of that comfort zone mm. um so my question for you off of the back of that was have you ever felt fear try to stop you from pursuing something in your career and if so, how did you overcome it? Because personally, for me, I think that is a big thing in my career right now where I am. And I'm trying for it to not stop me, but it's quite hard to break through. Yeah. And and I think the, the secret is, is step a bit outside your comfort zone. So I'm not recommending to anybody that, you know, it's kind of like you don't need to throw yourself out of an aeroplane. It, 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 it doesn't need <laughs> to be that dramatic. That. <laughs> 
probably less frightened than that. <laughs> um, I think that's the first thing is, is do you know what? You could step a bit outside your comfort zone. You might like it. If you don't like it, you could step back in again. So it's kind of like, you know, you, we build things up in our heads, don't we, as though that's they're like irrevocable. And if we do them, there's no going back. Usually there is a going back. So I think you have to internalise that. I think you have to tell the voice in your head who's saying to you that you can't do it, literally to shut up. Because mm. would your best friend tell you that you can't do it? Yeah. No. One of no. Should we tell you you could do it? And one of yeah. the techniques that we sort of uh, sort of recommend to people is maybe treat yourself like you would if you were your really good friend. Because if you were your really good friend, you would not say to you, "No, you're right. Yeah, you're you're, you're probably right. No, you're rubbish at that." You would go, "Of course you can do it." So if you could say that to your best friend, how could you must be able to say it to yourself? And then I think the other thing is is remember the Hewlett Packard test. So this is the and it's so true. And I know so many people have been this is true. So they did an analysis and write about it in the book. If there are ten criteria for a job, if a man can do six of them, he will apply for it. If a woman can do eight of them, she will think she's not qualified and she won't. Yeah. Mm. So true. Over and over and over again. Um, and I actually even noticed this myself. So when I was in the course of writing the book, um, somebody approached me for a very big job. And let me catch this in saying, because it's easy to give out advice, right? And let me catch this in saying, I didn't really want the, to move. I was very happy where I was. Um, and all I was thinking when this person said to me, you know, you've got an opening at this very senior job at Capacitive Company, you know, we'd like you to apply for it. All I was thinking was, well, if they could get me, that'd be amazing for them because I'd be really good at this. I mean, it wasn't a lack of confidence. Those are not the words that came out of my mouth. The words that came out of my mouth were, well, of course, I've, but I've, I'm a great strategist, but I've never been a managing director. And so I'd have to have somebody doing that bit of it for me. And it's kind of like, know. what are you doing? Why? But yeah, we do yeah. that. That's what we do. Why Somebody do did that we to me the other day. Do not say it. I don't mm. believe any man would say it. Do not Ooh. say it. And look, it didn't matter. And I didn't want the job. But I did not hear back from them. <laughs> Honestly, it's like you self-sabotage. Why do we do that? It's oh. it's so hard to train yourself not to do yes. that. Because instantly, yeah. you do doubt yourself. And you do think, oh, but someone else is better for the job. But as you don't. say, would would do men do that I, I couldn't imagine so like you say that yeah they're and only would you say qualified. that to your and would you say that to your best friend never no and even you should some be days a good now. friend to yourself exactly like that, honestly the amount of times now I will I'll, I'll voice note my friends and be like I really need you to tell me that yeah. I can do it today and good. do yeah. what I need to do and they will be that voice for me but as you say if you're willing to listen to your friends and their advice why why can't we do that for ourselves yeah it's like I, you have to train your mind to do it, don't you? But I why does not just come naturally for but us? That's why it's good that we're thinking about it. So yes, the more we think about it, the more it, we're aware. About it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But because otherwise, if you don't sit around and talk about it with your friends, nothing's ever going to change. We're always going to have that voice in our heads, yeah. aren't we? Since you wrote The Glass Wall, do you think that anything has changed? If you were rewriting it now, would you write anything differently? So I think things have got more difficult. So I think if you're a caregiver, um, the the increased flexibility that comes from the possibility of hybrid working and remote working has also meant increased responsibility. And that very often falls to women. So you, you see a situation where um, uh, it was it was more black and white when I when my children were little. I had uh childcare and then I would rush back in order to get home for in, in time for the evenings and everything but there wasn't really a question that I would not have sort of support because I was sometimes working from home and I think that the fact that that's got more fluid has both got opportunities in it but it's also got downsides as well um mm. and that definitely impacts mothers in a different way that it does fathers but I mean it's also about you know care of the sick or or, or the elderly or or even of pets as well um so I don't think things have changed as I might have hoped that they would in six years and the gender pay gap indicates that things have not particularly changed um I mean I think 
you know, in all sorts of ways. We're in a we're we're in weird times at the moment. Um, you know, the the kind of the the misogyny that's out there. Some of the newspaper headlines that you see. Um, Do you think that the Me Too movement had a positive or negative effect? Definitely. Because I guess that was that was kind of around. 2017 2018 that that really hit the news didn't it so I think look massively positive effect in the sense that it gave a voice to people who had been silenced but so the thing about the patriarchy and I think this is this is what when we wrote the subsequent book belonging which is about all, all forms of diversity and it just occurred to us and it's one of the lines from the book is that um if the patriarchy had set out to divide and conquer it's done it really well because it's sort of, you know, you, 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 you get, you get people saying, you know, you talk about gender diversity and you hear people saying things like, yes, but we've got a sustainability initiative now, Mm. or you talk about, you know, the proportion of women in senior management and people go, yes, but there are other problems with the proportions and the diversity of people in senior Mm -hmm. management, all of which is true. It's just that, and this is why we focused on women for the glass wall, and and we did speak to all um, lots of different sorts of women, both in terms of age and both in terms of um, uh, um, um, uh, ethnicity. But we didn't write about that for the book because we focused on gender. Because the thing about gender is is that we talk about women in, in work as if they're a minority group and we are not a minority group. Mm. In fact, in many businesses, the only place where women are in the minority is at the top level. Um, has there been enough change in that? No. Is there are 50% of the CEOs of the FTSE 100 women? No, I think there's four. Are you more likely to be um, FTSE 350 CEO if you're called Steve than if you're a woman? So I, I wasn't expecting, but I mean, you know, it's one of the things that we said about writing the book in the first place when we got to grips with it. So my first boss when I went into the industry was a woman. And at the time, because it was so long ago, there was a woman prime minister. <clears throat> I know we've had a couple since, but not for long. Um, but, you know, what? Well, she and Margaret Thatcher was still prime minister. Um, and so it seems to be really obvious that very shortly after that, every other boss would be a woman. And that's just not the case. It's, it, there are very few sectors where, if you look at the top of the companies, that, that that's the case. And I, I, you tell me why. It's not because of having children. It's, it's, that's literally not it. It's that you know, McKinsey have done a lot of work in this with the Lean Inst- Institute. There are, there are missing rungs. There are disadvantages. There are um, just decisions that are made in society still that are I just think extremely old-fashioned and I honestly worry and this probably isn't a very popular thing to say but I think there are still young women who think that one career option is is getting married um and the thing is is you don't get a contract you don't get a holiday (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) You heard it here first. <laughs> plan, you know, it's kind of like it's not, it's not independence. Uh, I know I would say this. I've worked all, all my life, but it's not independence in the same way as having a career. Like you say that, that the the facts are in the evidence at the end of the day, or the evidence are in the facts that there's just not enough women in those roles. And That's the true. real question is why and how. So how I don't, do we I don't that? think. Well, you've probably read the book more recently than I have. But, um, <laughs> Uh, I don't think there's anything that we change in it because I don't I think that you know what we know from this so we we've given lots and lots of talks from the book and the same questions get asked over and over again and sometimes we are so shocked by the questions that we were asked and one of the ones that didn't make it into that book but made it into the next one because it it was from a talk was about um, uh, a, a very a woman who's very very senior in a law firm a general counsel had taken a new job, had gone to a meeting with her boss and kind of his top team, that walked into them. She asked us this question. She said, so, Catherine, what would you have done at this point? I'll ask you. 
um, Sophie and Emily, what would you have done? What would you have said if this had happened to you? So she walked in the room. Um, she was like the last woman, person in there. There was, She was the only woman. There were seven people in the meeting. There were only six chairs. And she did that thing where she was like, oh, just for a second, thrown by it. And, you know, said, oh, I'll go and get another chair. And the CEO of the company tapped his knee and said, why don't you come and sit here? Oh, my God. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I read that in your book, Belonging, and I just thought this is. I mean, I think your only your only response is is to say, "F off." <laughs> I does that still happen? Honestly, I would be traumatized. Yeah. I'd be going straight to HR to complain. To be honest, I don't know how, but the confidence to even say that. Uh, maybe he thought, maybe he was being funny. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't but, there. Is that funny? Um, but it's not funny. It's not no. funny. But and the other thing that isn't funny is not one not one of her colleagues said anything. So that could have diffused the situation if her, yeah. you know, big CFO had gone. I'll tell you what, David. I'll come and sit on your knee. I mean, that yeah. would have diffused things, and it would have made her feel supported. And so I guess, and I think we didn't talk about microaggressions. I didn't really know the term when we wrote about the glass wall. And then the fairy godmother to microaggressions, which is microaffirmations, which is where you help each other out. And I think perhaps we would have put something more about that in it because that, that's what you, you that's what you need. Don't sit and be a bystander. If mm. everybody spoke up for every little bit of that banter or whatever, it even well, I mean, who knows what this man was thinking. But if, if if everybody did something about it, then that would change. And yeah, I do think everybody, true. everybody needs to take some leadership on it. Um, yeah. I've come across situations subsequently where people have gone and amazing people and they've gone. If this place doesn't change, then I'm out of here. Mm. And I kind of think, OK, but actually also, what are you doing to change it? Yeah. And that's quite harsh sometimes it takes a lot of courage um particularly if the person who you've got to speak up against is the person that's going to decide your pay rise or your promotion or is about to do your review that takes a lot of courage but I think if we all did it and we find ways of doing it even if it's a private word or as you say going to someone else to get you help or speaking out for each other really like the thing that um they said happened in the Obama White House, which was the the women who got spoken over. They kind of had a pact that if one of them got spoken over in, in a meeting, the, another one would say, oh, did you just hear what Emily said? Because I just would like her to repeat it and actually made a moment for that to happen. And, it, you know, it doesn't have to be women. It could, could be anybody doing yeah. it. But I think that's a really you know, nice a regular meeting. I'm always talked over do you mind and I'll do the same for you just just pause it and um, and that's such a small thing such a small little change to do but actually would make such a difference in yeah being able to speak and not feeling like oh you're constantly being put down or someone someone's going to speak over to me so I'm not even going to bother making that yeah. point yeah which that's again really good practical advice well I've got a question about the glass slipper syndrome from your book yeah. the belonging so in it, you can probably explain this much better than I can. We're talking about cutting off toes. Yes. <laughs> um, and the idea that you cut off your toes to fit into the, the glass slipper. But my question is that at what point have you cut off your toes so long ago that you're no longer aware that you're missing toes? And what do you do about that? Because I feel like you spend um, so much of your career trying to fit in that how do you sort of yeah. regain your um, genuine self if it's been a while since you've been it? Such a good question. Um, and I think the true answer is, is that we spend so much time at work. You need to enjoy it. You need to be happy there. And if you really have, it, it comes from the Cinderella, the original Cinderella story, but if you really have like, cut off a part of yourself and you can't ever bring that out then you do need to do something about that and I think the question becomes talk to your friends talk to your buddies um talk to your family either you might need a change in the role that you're in or it might be that you need 
to move to a, a another job um sometimes you get stuck and sometimes if you if you know if it's something that's gone on for years and years and years you need to be to, to do a bit of reinvention and that's one of the great things about changing yeah. jobs right is that you go you know yeah there's a whole set of new things to do but also it, it's a, it's a new me and you know mm. I, I've a, on a really practical level and this is going to sound slightly girly um I so I've done this new outfits yeah, so oh, yeah. it's a difference I'm in for this <laughs> it's a difference as in okay I need to give myself talking to I need a new persona at work I'm you know that persona wore dark grey trouser suits maybe this persona rocks up in a red you know dress or whatever and I think for me I've done that over the years um yeah so I think you you need to be kind to yourself, understand when you need to do it. And then you can reinvent yourself where you are. If you find that you can't do that because it's kind of got a bit stultified around you, then you need to consider moving. So we had a um, question from the audience, which was, what was your very first job and what did you learn from it? Yeah, no, my very first job was I, um, I got a job when I was 14. So I was actually too young to work legally at Dulce's Shoe Shop in Brunt Cross. Right. And I learned a profound business lesson there because um, the reason that I quit um, is to do an evening a week and all day Saturday. And the reason I quit and I actually quit to go and get a job at the library that that paid slightly less because I found it too stressful because uh, you were asked to sell Scotchgard. So, you know, the shoe protection spray. So mm-hmm. that was like and, and I was way too shy to do it. And I was very upset about it. And my big brother came in once and bought five, which was so oh, sweet. Bless but at the end, I, I, I actually, I quit and I said to the manager, you know, I, I, the, the, the stress of the Scotch card. And he went, no, 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 you can stay. You know, that's for the people that work here all the time. I was like, no, no, it's too much for me. Um, but what I learned was, is that sometimes it's not the main product that you have in business from which you make money. Sometimes the margin is on something else. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's a kind of profound business lesson. It's, you know, it's, it's true in a lot of places. If you think about um, places where the food might be discounted, but they make the money on the bottle of wine. Um, so it was a very it was like a proper kind of economic business lesson. Um <laughs> And I and I will will never forget it. Um, but I didn't last very long in that. <laughs> okay, right. So we'll end on this one. Sorry, getting confused. Um, do you believe that change must always come from the organisation? And if so, in industries where there is little appetite for change, what can women do? Nearly every organisation now has got environmental and social goals, and so I do think that's changing in the sense that they certainly will have at some point some somewhere in their organization uh, a desire for change and um you know gender pay gap is now uh, you know compulsory and i think that was that was a, a good thing so you know that the, the people have to explain the gender pay gap to their to their employees and to their stakeholders but i also am a massive believer in taking practical measures yourself mm-hmm. and that's really what the glass wall is bang full of as you know which is we don't we do talk about things that are profoundly unfair but we don't go this is profoundly unfair we go here's a hack try this try this try that and you might find that some things change enormously so you know some of them are you know are quite you kind of showing off right women tend not to show off um you have to show off. You need to find a way of showing off. Or you need to understand that if you don't show off, if you're not in your boss's office, showing off someone else's. And so yeah. we talk in the book about ways in which you can do that. Is that boss ever going to change? Probably not. Will the organisation say, no, it shouldn't be about showing off. It should be about going through a process. OK. But, you know, there's certainly somebody we spoke to for the book who said they'd had two people both due for promotion one a man one a woman gave each of them six things to do um the man came back after two weeks and said um what are you doing about my promotion and she said what um the boss was a woman she said well i've um 
uh, how are you doing with the list of six things? And he went, um, well, now you've raised the idea of a promotion with me. I think I'm due it now and I'm, I'll work on the six things. But if you don't talk to the management about my promotion, I will go over your head and do it. Right. Wow. The woman, she went back to after six months and said, how are you doing with the promotion list? And the woman went, oh, no, it's really good. I've, I've, st- I've done two of them. I'm still working on the other four. <laughs> right. They both got promoted. Guess who got promoted first? Him. They both deserve promotion. They're yeah. both working their way through it. But there was the reason that he got it first was because he he pushed it and she didn't. And so yeah. you've just got to ask yourself what you feel about that, what you can do about that. Um, one of the things that's kind of true in life is that your boss isn't really interested in your career. They're interested in their own career. And so one of the big questions is, how what can you do to make your boss want to promote you and and it's yeah. it's it, yeah so yeah. i do think you can take it into your own hands and good luck with it and remember that if it really proves too tough sometimes the answer is there's other places out there that that will treat you better treat give you give you the job you deserve give you the exactly. career you the grass can be greener <laughs> Not always. Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you. It's been lovely speaking to you and good luck with everything. Thanks, Sue, for joining us on Unity Thursday. Don't forget to buy Sue's books on Amazon and leave a five-star review. Links are in the show notes. We want to get to know you all, so please do send us in your questions or drop us a line to introduce yourselves. You can reach us at unitythursday at gmail.com. We will never reveal your identity, so tell us all of your secrets. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit our website at unitythursday.com. See you next time.